0: Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would just bless this time in the word this evening. Father, we pray that you bless the married couples up in 502 and the kids. Lord, and rock the world. I just pray, Father, for just the fullness of your spirit, Lord, this evening, that we may understand your word, be changed by your word, be formed in fashion by your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we left off in Psalm 134. For those, who have been, for those of you who have been with us uh, throughout the Old Testament, you remember that King David uh, instituted... 24-hour worship at the temple. And so Psalm 134 was an encouragement to the uh, Levites who worship the Lord in the night shift. Psalm 134 said, Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who by night stand in the house of the Lord. I just find that um, awesome, the fact that they worship all night get up in the middle of the night, and go into the temple. And that's God's heart for us, that we worship all day and all night. Worship in our dreams. That's what He wants. But on into Psalm 135, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Now, it's amazing to me, in church, there can you can be standing, you can be standing, as it says, in the house of the Lord, but you're not praising Him. Your lips are moving, but there's no praise in your heart. And this is just an exhortation to those who are standing in the house of the Lord. It's saying... Praise Him. Not much of an option there. It's a command. Verse 3, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure. Now, if you are struggling with your uh, self-esteem, the world talks a lot about you got to make sure and have good self-esteem. And I think that's a, a really, really troublesome uh, uh, thing that has happened over development that's happened over the last 20 years. Just uh, teachers and, and uh, school boards being obsessed to make sure that kids have good self-esteem. Well, the problem with that is when we look in our heart, the Bible says that out of our heart proceeds all kinds of really ugly stuff because we're born in sin. And so really, if we want good uh, self-esteem, we need to get our eyes off of our own selves and onto the Lord, onto the Lord. And that's what he's encouraging here And, and onto what the Lord says of us. And the Bible says that we're God's special treasure, It says here, Israel's called special treasure. In the New Testament, it says we have, as born-again believers, have been grafted into Israel, into that stump. And we are the Lord's special treasure, not because of anything we've done, the book of Titus says, but because of God's mercy and through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We have the righteousness of Christ. He looks at us. He sees His Son We are his special treasure. Again, not because of any inherent goodness in us, but because he's chosen us as his special treasure. Verse 5, For I know that the Lord is great, and our uh, Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. You know, oftentimes we, you know, you're talking with someone about the Lord and they're saying, well, why did God choose to do that? And why did he uh, do this? And, 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 you know, people get really, really confused about why certain things happen, particularly things that are, are difficult. Well, uh, supremely, the answer is in this verse right here. You can take them to this verse. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. And oh, have you reached a good place in your life and in your heart where you really understand that. One of my favorite places, illustrations of this in the whole Bible, you don't have to turn there with me, but was when Samuel, remember Samuel's uh, mother Hannah was barren. She prayed uh, and uh, the high priest said, well, you're going to have a child and... She promised the Lord she had a child, she would dedicate him to the Lord, so Sam, she had a, a child, and Samuel he grew up in the temple, and he grew up with Eli, the high priest, and um, all of a sudden, in the mi- uh, middle of the night, uh, he's sleeping in the temple, and he hears, Samuel, Samuel, and he runs to Eli, the high priest, who's who's uh, living in uh, in the temple with him, and... He said, so what do you want? And Eli uh, Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And he goes back to bed and hears Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli. And uh, Eli, and he says, well, yes, what do you want? And I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And uh, then... Uh, th- you know th- th- this happens, and, and finally Eli tell- figures out what's going on. This kid's hearing from the Lord, and he says, "Next time you go back to bed, and you hear Samuel Samuel say, what is it, Lord?'" <laughs> and so um, again, it happened. Uh, the, uh, he hears Samuel Samuel, and Samuel answers in First uh, Samuel three ten says, "Speak, for your servant hears." And the Lord said to Samuel the prophecy about Eli, about his boss, about the high priest and how God was going to bring judgment on him, uh, on the high priest, and uh, that he'd basically wipe him out, that he was going to be completely wiped out. And in the morning, Eli woke up, and he went to Samuel and said, So, did you hear from the Lord? Uh, Yes, I did. Samuel wasn't about to offer what uh, was said. And he says, Well, what did... What did the Lord say? And, and it says that Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And in spite of the fact that, you know, Eli, if you remember the story about Eli, he was a really bad father. He let his sons, sons of the high priest, sleep with the women in the gate, steal the best uh, portions of the sacrifices. And he let it go on without disciplining them, uh, but for all his faults, this is something that we need to cut this verse out and put it over our doorpost. It is the Lord. let him do what it seems good to him. And in Psalm 135, we, we really it, it, it's a, a special place that you've come to when you just settle on in your heart, He's the Lord, and whatever the Lord pleases. He does. Continuing on, verse 6. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places, He caused the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings out the wind of the treasuries. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt. And so this psalm here is really similar to, I don't know if you remember Psalm 104, where it just talks a lot about, you know, the Lord is in complete control. He is in utter, total control. And and really, that's what this psalm is driving home. Verse 13, Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge His people and He will have compassion on His servants. Now in verse 15, there is a shift and a contrast between the Lord... Jehovah, God, and the false idols all around um, Israel. It says, the idols of the nations, verse 15, are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouth, and this is what's important, underline this one, those who make them are like them. Those who make them are like them. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. And so, the contrast here is is God is in control of absolutely everything. Verse 6, we read, whatever the Lord pleases, He does, whereas an idol is powerless. And then the tragedy is that People serve these idols who they have mouths but they do not speak. Imagine the uh, uh, absurdity of that. They have eyes but they do not see. They have ears but they do not hear the absurdity of them being being worshipped. And Isaiah has a wonderful portrait of idols. He says there's a rod of wood. He says, Israel, look what you've done. You've left Jehovah. You've taken up a rod of wood. Uh, you cut it in half. With one half of it, you make a, a little statue. You put it on the counter and you worship it. And the other half you throw in the fire and keep yourself warm. And and he's pointing out the absurdity there. Just, just as the psalmist uh, is here but then he says but those uh, but those who make them are like them and it is so true that you will become just like who you worship that is what happens if you worship lady gaga you will become like lady gaga you will become like her uh, you know if 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 you uh, worship Hammer. Right? He's like way outdated, isn't he? Uh, Fifteen, twenty years ago, you'll become like MC Hammer. And 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 the but the Bible says, uh, in addition to that, it says, if you worship the Lord, you will become like the Lord. Second Corinthians three eighteen. Wonderful, wonderful verse. But we with all, all with unveiled face, meaning the veil that the Lord lifted off of us when He saved us. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You're going to worship something or someone. Human beings were made to worship. When you see a a, a crowd of, of people that um at a rock concert going nuts so it's it, it 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 you know it, they're just doing what is natural to them when you see a room and and a politician running for office comes in and the room whips into a frenzy the people don't judge them how can you expect anything more from a dead man or a dead woman? They're just doing what is natural to them. That's the, the, before, we're, uh, before we are born again, the Bible says we're dead, dead in our transgressions, and it's only natural for us to worship. Athletes, one of the first things that just went when I became a Christian uh, in, in my early 20s was all of a sudden, The worship of man just went click. It's like something turned off in my heart, and all of a sudden I realized, wow, these people I've been worshiping, they're just like me. They're no different. Those who make them will become like them. You worship your job. If you're obsessed with your career, you will become... uh, you will become like it. You will become a shallow, materialistic uh, idol. That's what you will become. You'll become like the idol that you worship. Verse 19, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Remember, we also went over this in a previous psalm. This progression Verse, uh, verse 19. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Meaning, the people need to bless the Lord. But not only that, the priesthood, the leadership, needs to also bless the Lord. And how often, uh, in periods of history, you actually have a, a you know, the the, the people uh, bless the Lord and they honor the Lord, but the clergy are not. The clergy become corrupt. That's what happened at the time of Jesus. Many of the people were seeking after thirsting, hungry and thirsting for righteousness, but the leaders of the people were corrupt to the bone. And he's saying, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. Bless the Lord, verse 21. Uh, Blessed be the Lord out of Zion who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Okay, so if you have your Bible... Psalm 136, this is a responsive psalm, so I want you to participate. This is a responsive psalm, meaning a a Levite would uh, declare the first part of the verse, and the people and the temple court would would uh, speak out the second part of the verse. And the reason for these responses, I think this this one and maybe one other one, which is sort of a responsive psalm. Some of us grew up in churches where the uh, the, the, the pastor would say something, or the priest, and we would repeat after. Uh, actually, that is a biblical thing. Fortunately, it turned, Unfortunately, it turns into a ritual in many uh, denominations, and it, it, it loses the, the really the, it, its purpose. But at the heart and core of it, it's a biblical thing. So, you ready to repeat after me? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. To him who made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him who struck Egypt in in their firstborn. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings don't give up on me, and slew famous kings. Sihong, king of the Amorites. And O, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowliest state. And rescued us from our enemies. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Okay, so what is the point he's driving home? (laughs) There's always one jokester in the crowd. For his mercy endures forever. It's a shame when it's the pastor's son, but anyway, Um, uh, that's the point that he is driving home. Uh, His mercy endures forever. And you say, well, this seems so repetitious. Uh, Why is he uh, saying it over and over again? Well, because we're dumb sheep. And so often... Particularly, you know, people say, oh, I don't, I don't read the Old Testament. It's like the God of the Old Testament, hate and anger. Well, I don't know about you guys, but reading through the Old Testament, to me, I have developed more of a sense of the mercy and grace of God, particularly when, as we went through the history of Israel, than, at least at one level than, than I have ever had in just reading the New Testament. Just his mercy... And, and, you know, on Sunday, you know, Sunday mornings and counseling and Sunday evenings as well, so often I'm talking to someone who just fell flat on their face in sin. And what I tell them is this, if you turn to God, he can't help but have mercy on you because he will not deny his name. His name is mercy. He will not deny his name. His mercy endures forever, and the reason they wanted to repeat this whatever whatever that was twenty times is because we forget we just can 't imagine that God would have mercy on us after some of the things that we 've done. His mercy endures forever he 's not like a man he 's not like a woman; he is the Lord, his ways are so far above our ways. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, when we remembered Zion, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, meaning merriment, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land if I forget you, O Jerusalem? Let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. And so, what's going on here? Well, this is, uh, if you remember, Israel came out of the wilderness actually came out of Egypt, lived for the, in the wilderness for 40 years, went into the promised land, was, the, was there for uh, four, uh, four or 500 years there. And then they were, after repeated sort of rebellion and disobedience, going out to false gods, God exiled them to Babylon for 70 years. For 70 years. And this is written soon after... The the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed Jerusalem. Actually, they came in more than once, gave them sort of a chance. You could call it that. And they failed and they came in and just wiped out everything the second time. Carried the Israelites back to uh, Babylon. And this is them talking here. Their, their treasure, the temple, been flattened. Uh, the temple was uh, so, so... Uh, uh, dear to the to the Jewish people, to the point that the temple itself had become like an idol. If you remember in uh, the New Testament, where the Pharise- the, the Pharisees uh, and Caiaphas they joined together and said, "Look, if this guy keeps on uh, doing these signs and wonders, this guy Jesus continues doing his signs and wonders, the Romans are going to take away come and take away our place, our temple." It 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 was just so important to them. The temple itself had become more important than God in many respects. Wiped out the temple, burned the city, and here they are, it says, by the rivers of Babylon, verse 1, where we sat down and we wept. And the Jews have always been uh, famous for uh, wonderful music and merriment. Uh, anyone ever been to a Jewish wedding? Anyone ever been to a Jewish wedding? They're just... Uh, they're, they're just filled with uh, life and and uh, wonderful songs and this type of thing and, and the Babylonians are asking him, hey, sing us one of the songs of Zion because they're kind of getting depressed themselves. Hey, come on, make us merry with one of your uh, with one of your songs. And they say, they say in verse four, well, how are we going to do that in this foreign land with what has just happened to us? How can we possibly uh, do that? And so the Lord, and it says in verse 5, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my hand, right hand forget his skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. And so, roof of my uh, mouth, yeah. And the Lord has put this very thing in the hearts of the Jewish people. And you cannot find anything remotely similar to what has happened uh, to uh, the Jewish race where, uh, usually, within just a few generations uh, an ethnic people will uh, will sort of mix uh, with assimilate into the culture around it and and disappear uh, the Jewish people though for thousands of years have remained uh, as uh, as a as a, a cultural and ethnic and religious uh, group and God has put this in their heart this love for their land and it's after 2,000 years returning to uh, it in the late 1800s and early 1900s eventually established a nation there uh, just a, an amazing thing but here it's just speaking of of the tremendous despondency in their life and then in verse 7 through 9 remember the psalms are a a worship manual uh, and a a prayer manual. And and as we've read many times, sometimes the psalmist is speaking things. We don't necessarily uh, condone what they're saying, but we can imitate their transparency. We need to be honest with the Lord. And so what does the psalmist say? Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. So that's when Edom had come and wiped out, uh, or wiped out part of uh, Israel. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as, as you have served us, happy is the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. It's like, ugh, you know. But we do learn from this, just the importance of, you know, being transparent to the Lord. You know, Dan talked about that, Pastor Dan talked about that this morning. Just being honest with the Lord. So important. The Psalms are a prayer manual where we learn that. Psalm 138. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. Now, that trips up some people. What does that mean, before the gods? What is gods? There's only one God. Well, there is just one God. This can mean one of two things. In the book of Judges, you will read that sometimes the judges were referred to uh, gods as little g, but more probably, I think what this is is that just the important principle of uh, this is a Psalm of David. Some uh, there was a you know it, during various times, you know, David's in, in places where there's other gods, and he's and he's just saying, look, I don't care how much idolatry is around me and this is just a wonderful example for us I'm gonna serve the Lord (laughs) I'm gonna praise God I don't care how much I what people are worshiping around me the God of materialism or whatever the idols are in the United States of America now there's you know easy worship of of Eastern religion and, and 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 Hindu gods in this country sometimes right right next to us at work or in our neighborhood or wherever And he's just saying, I will praise you with my whole heart. In other words, I am not going to be ashamed of you, Lord, even though the politically correct thing to do is shut my mouth and not let anyone know who who I identify with. Verse 2, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name, You have magnified your word above all your name. I don't know if you've heard that verse before. It's a pretty well-quoted verse. God magnifies his word above his name. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, uh, first of all, it's just a, a very important statement about how seriously God takes his word. He magnifies his word above his name. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example of, of, of what that means. In the world, let's just say, um, let me give you an example. So I'm a king somewhere. King Steve of Liechtenstein or whatever, or Monaco. And, uh, and my word is the law. And I give the, the law. Well so, ha- well, so often what happens in, in, in the world is a king will give by his word, he's the law, but a king will be the first one to break his own law. Well, I'm the king. God doesn't do that. He magnifies his word above his name. And the Lord knows that if we are not in his word on a regular basis, we will wind up worshiping a God, little g, that just a God we're comfortable with, or a God of our own fashioning, or a God... One of the things that brought me to the Lord when I was 24 years old was I was just really confused because every six months I had, I had a different view of who God was. And I said, you know, if there's any such thing as absolute truth, surely... There's got to be just one one word about who God really is. There's got to be one authority. And that's why God magnifies his word above his name. And, And he's more concerned about his word being upheld than his name being honored. That's how important the word of God is. He wants us to know him. And so many of Paul's letters in the New Testament, rather Paul's prayers in the New Testament. He prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that you may know God in Colossians chapter 1. That you may be filled with the knowledge of of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and, and understanding. Growing in the knowledge of Him, Paul prays. He magnifies His Word above His name. Just think about that one. Meditate on that one this week. Verse 3, In the day when I cried out, You answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. God can make us bold with strength in our soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise You, O Lord, when they hear the words of Your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord for great is the glory of the Lord though the Lord is on high yet He regards the lowly. The Bible says He's not a respecter of persons meaning He doesn't grade people. But the proud He knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble you will revive me you will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. And your right hand will save me. Verse 8. I've cut this one out. It's right over my computer. I'm looking at this every single day. The Lord will perfect or complete that which concerns me. You know, God didn't just save you. He didn't pluck you out of the world and make you into a new creation just to make you stay the same? He's going to perfect that which concerns you. He's going to perfect that. He's got a lot invested in you. He's got so much invested in you. His own Son. The suffering, the death, and just a little while later I'm going to, in Isaiah it says they plucked Jesus said he did not withhold his face from his persecutors for them to pluck out his beard. I mean what God has invested in us. Jesus was unrecognizable. The Bible says that by the time he got to the got to the uh, to the cross but not only the death of his son he's just invested uh, you with his word. He's in, and, and he, as we're reading Psalm 139, it's that he, God has so many thoughts towards you. Verse 18 of 139 says, they're more than can be numbered. More than the sand on a beach, it says in Psalm 139, verse 18. He's got a lot invested in you. He will perfect that which concerns you. Great verse. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Verse 1, Psalm 139. Now, Psalm 139, as I've told you, I'm sort of a Psalms junkie. I've spent so much time in the Psalms over the years. Uh, But if I had, if there was one Psalm that I would say, man, memorize it, chew on it, just know it inside and out, it's got to be this one. I mean, if, if you really make this a part, this psalm a part of who you, what your faith is and who you are in Christ, you will be one stable dude or dudess, whichever one you are. Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways for there is not a word on my tongue but behold O lord you know it all together now i never i did not grow up in, in christian churches that taught the word of god and and the church you know god was sort of far off And, you know, the whole father thing, rarely did I actually, when I first got into a Christian church, everyone was talking about Jesus. Jesus was not really mentioned a whole lot growing up in the churches I was in. Father was, you hear about Father, you know, God the Father. But I got really uncomfortable when everyone started talking about Jesus, but this the God the Father sort of distant, sort of like you think of some of the cathedrals you walk in, and they're so the ceilings are way up, and and, and 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 at one level, and I'm not really judging anything, but at one level, that's the concept of God that a lot of people who walk into these large cathedrals have. These, he's up there, I'm here. There's a respect for him, but there is no sense that you like you have. In Psalm 139, of someone who has a rich, close relationship with the Lord, who, who, look at what it says, you have searched me and you have known me. Just that knowledge that God knows every single molecule in you, and you can just rest in that. And and that's a comfortable thing for you. You know my, verse 2, my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. now, of course, this can be a scary thing. I haven't. There's a lot, of, you know, a lot of stuff that's gone through my mind in the last 24 hours. I wouldn't necessarily like someone to make a video of it and publish it on this, you know on a movie screen somewhere. Thank God for grace. But there is a comfort when someone who is walking with the Lord has just knowing. That God knows every single thing about us. It says, For there's not a word on my, on my tongue, verse 4, but behold, you know it. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. And, and, and what that means is that he is so close to the Lord that he cannot run away from the Lord because if he does, God's going to push him right back to the path that he's on. And it's a wonderful place to get in your Christian life where you realize that God has you on a short, short leash and you ain't going nowhere if you try to get away from him. You know, recently I announced to the ministry team a few weeks ago that the Lord... that. uh, that i 'm going to be going full time here at the church i 've been working three days a week uh now for a number of years and uh the day before i um, i I told my employer that my boss and his boss had decided to promote me into a different position <laughs> a higher position you know uh, and uh you know with all the benefits that entails and so You know, when I told him, he says, "Well, wouldn't you? Is there anything we can do to convince you not to do this? You know, how about this?" You know, and as it turns out, they had already made the decision, this new job, and and I was thinking, (laughs) like, uh, I was thinking, well, maybe I should do that for like just one year, and then, you know, then I'll go full time. And the Lord told me so very clearly. That would be utterly catastrophic to you and your family. That one little gear. And you know something? I just love that. I love I I love the fact that I'm in that place with God now. That He's got me on such a short leash. I love it. I I was sharing that with one guy, and he goes, "Whoa, what a horrible motivation in life! You're feared and scared of God. Oh, come on! I'm not motivated by the fear of God." I'm motivated by it because of the goodness of God, not the fear of the God. It's the kindness of the Lord that that uh, leads them to repentance. But at the same time, it's so healthy to have a good fear of God, just in the backdrop of your life, where you know that if you go to the right or left, you're going to get swallowed up by a whale, and you're going to be, you know, just a chunk in a whale's throw up, you know, after a few days. <laughs> if if you don't stay in obedience to the Lord. And that's what David is talking about here. He's saying, verse 5, you have hedged me behind and before. And brothers and sisters, that's a great place to be where you're okay with that. If the Lord happens to have you in a season of life where you're in a straitjacket, God will put us in those places. We're not going, you know, like Houdini, except we can't get out. We're not doing that. We're just, okay, Lord, you have me where you are. As we were already read, the Lord does whatever He pleases, and if this is what You're pleased to do now. I'll submit to it. Verse six: Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It, it really is. When you start getting that sense of how much God loves you, how much involved He is in your life, it, it, it's it's too wonderful to really to put into words. It is high and I cannot attain it. And in other words, he can't put it in words. Verse 7 Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell. So behold, you are there. So if I decide to be a prodigal and say, okay, I want uh, my inheritance right now, and I want to take off, and I go and I live on a pig farm and whatever, and start eating pig's food, the Bible says, the Lord's going to be with me right there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall be. Lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. And so, as this is just, brothers and sisters, this the, the, Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord and forget not His benefits. This is a benefit of believing and growing with the Lord. And you'll get to the point in your life that even in darkness... Even the night shall be as light about you because you know that the Lord is right there. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the light shines um, as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, I have a really, really big nose. Lord, why did you do that? Man, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That big nose is fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Oh, my prayer for everyone in this room and in our church fellowship, that we would, our soul would know really well the marvelous works of the Lord in their life. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. If you've thought about abortion in the last few verses, good, you should be. As a former fetus, I oppose abortion. (laughs) You know, fetus doesn't make sense. Fetal tissue. No, it's a human being. And God formed the human being in the womb. And God help the pastors and the priests out there who are shutting their mouths on this issue. Because it, I believe in many respects this issue is, is the sheep will be divided from the goats. If, if, if the leadership of churches is ashamed to discuss this issue which is so clearly laid out in his word. It says, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He, God skillfully made you in your mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were written that days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. So your days before any of them existed They were fashioned by God, meaning He mapped out your life. He mapped out your life, meaning each day. And so, in the morning when you pray, Lord, what did you fashion out for me today? Because you say in your word, Lord, you have a plan for me today. Before I even had any days, this day you had planned. What do you want for, for me today, Lord? You know, in in the book of um, of Isaiah, there is a I think it's Isaiah, is it? Isaiah chapter fifty. It says this, and I referred to this earlier. It says, I did not turn away my back from those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Well, who's that speaking of? Speaking of Jesus, it's a prophecy that he would have his beard plucked out, he would be whipped, the Messiah would be whipped. They would be spitting at him, book of Marks, as they spat at Jesus. But earlier on in the verse, the same thing. It says, Jesus Jesus is literally speaking there in Isaiah 50. It says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the Lord. He wakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. In other words, even Jesus, morning by morning, asked the Father, Okay, Lord, put in my ear, speak to me. What do you have for me today? Today, if Jesus is asking. Jesus is asking the Father. God, what do you have for me today? Certainly, we need to be doing the same thing. Psalm 139, verse 16, says, The days fashioned for me. Verse 17, How precious are also are your thoughts to me, O God, How great is the sum of them? If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And so, oh man, we heard this morning about when we pray to the Lord. What is our view of God? What is our view of the one we're praying to? Do we believe he cares so much about us that he thinks so much about us? That more you know more than the, the the thoughts that he has towards us are cannot even be counted you, you, you think of when you're you know a, a, a guy starts a man and a woman start courting and just they can't get the thought of the other one out of their head. It's just like this constant thing. all the thoughts Well, you multiply that. Times a gazillion, they can't be numbered. The thoughts that the Lord has for you. you see why I, I really this is this 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 Psalm, man. If this becomes part of you, you, incorporate the song into your faith, which you can because it's the Word of God, and your faith needs to be made up by the Word of God. I'm telling you, among many other things, it will be wonderful for your prayer life. Verse 19, O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O Lord, depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak wickedly against you. They speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. So this is David. Just a, a, a zeal for the Lord. And remember, as we read the Old Testament... Many of the things in the Old Testament that are physical are meant to be, for us, an example of the, of the spiritual realm. And, and the Bible says we, we, know, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and part, uh, uh, powers of the air. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me. And the way everlasting it needs to be a part of my prayer life, yours, ours, where we just ask the Lord, okay, Lord, I know this is going to be painful, but I want you to search me. I want you to search me and I want you to know my heart. I want you to try me and know my anxieties. And In other words, what he's saying is expose to me all that gunk, that ugliness. In my heart, that needs to be exposed. That needs to be exposed. Psalm 140 Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The points, uh, poison of ass is under their lips. So remember David, after he was anointed king by Samuel, after, for 10 years, had the king, Saul, chasing him in the wilderness. He lived in the craggy rocks. And and he never stopped praying, though. He never stopped praying in that 10-year period. Now, he, he when he finally gave up and moved to live with the Philistines for a year and a half, apparently he did. But when he was in Israel in the, in the will of the Lord... He never start praying. Here he is praying. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked, verse 4. Preserve me from violent men who have purpose to make my steps stumble. So who do you go to in that time of crisis? Do you go immediately to a doctor? Do you go to a, immediately to a human counselor? Do you go immediately to your finances or whatever? Or do you go to the Lord? The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have uh, set traps for me. I said to the Lord, You are my God. Hear the voice of my supplication. O God, the the Lord, the strength of my salvation. For you have covered my head in the day of battle. I like that. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. So again, he, he, you know, he rather than, you know, so many times in a time of crisis, we sort of go inward and we isolate ourselves and we, we, we don't want to pray. You know, sometimes in our greatest crisis is the hardest time to pray. It's almost like pulling teeth, and we just got to break out of that. Verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted, the justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. We will close with Psalm 141. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Remember, incense when it was uh, in the tabernacle and in the temple represents the prayer of the saints. The lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifice. So, you know, from time to time, we lift up our hands in worship. Someone we would say, well, why do you lift up your hands to the Lord? Oh, well, it just makes me feel good. Well, that may be the case, but it's a sacrifice. It's a blessing to the Lord, the Bible says. Verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Oh, man. Ooh. Is this one true, Lord? Please set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips, Lord. There's just so much that comes out of my mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says, "Where there's many words, there sin is present." It says the same thing in Ecclesiastes, and 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 so often the Bible says, you know, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacy. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. You know, I read just a fabulous devotional recently and my devotional. I'm in the f- fifth time reading this devotional. This guy, I've told you about it sometimes. And the guy's name is Bogotsky. This devotional was written 365 days, written like 300 years ago. But it, I, I love it because it just pierces my heart at the beginning of the day. And there was a similar verse there in verse 5. It just talks about here the importance of allowing the righteous to strike you, meaning confront you, meaning telling you the ugly truth that you need to hear about you. There's another Proverbs 12.1 that says this, Whosoever loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish you hate reproof, you're just going to be a brutish person because you're not going to change. And th- this devotional is just fabulous. It just it, it, it says this, it says, "...nothing can be said so bad about us which we do not have the root of in our hearts. And though we are convinced and of and strive in our own weakness, we may not strive so earnestly as to conquer." Therefore, God comes to our assistance in sharp reproof from others, for he knows how to use even the faults of others for our good. And so what this this devotional is saying is that nothing can be said so bad of you that you don't have the root of it in your heart, meaning someone may come and rebuke you of something. It may be completely false, but you still have the root of it in your heart and you should receive it because... The Lord is allowing it. For some reason, the Lord's not only allowing it, He's using it. He wants, you to, uh, he wants you to hear what you're hearing. You know, I've had some bosses in my time over the years who just, man, ooh, ouch. I mean, some of the things they said, and they'd be 95% wrong, and the way they did it was just so rough around the corners, but like 3% of what they said was true. 2%. The, the, the 5% of what they said was true and 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 yet the, the, you know we'll just go on and on about how that 95% um was wrong and we won't realize that that 5% was from the lord and he will use the people over us and around us to really really refine us that is unless we insist on rejecting what the Lord is is doing in our life. And, and you know, so oftentimes when I hear people complain about their bosses and how nasty their bosses are, you know, one thing for, for you to consider if you have a nasty uh, boss, could it be that you have a nasty heart and God's trying to, to deal with you? Could it be that you know your heart needs fashioning so much that that's the reason he has that person in your life, that coworker, that friend, that that family member. And rather than, you know, pointing out the sliver, maybe the log in that person next to you, you, you need to consider, oh, wow, there must be something, some issue with me for the Lord to be bringing this person into my life. It says in verse 5, "...let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness." For verse, six, verse 7, "...our bodies are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth." And so sometimes uh, the trials that the Lord brings in our life, it's like plowing. We read last week in one of the Psalms about furrows in our backs. "...but my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord, in you I take my refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute." Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. So just that honest, honest, uh, that honest dialogue with the Lord and how important it is that we imitate that.